You're listening to I Quit My Job, a podcast about songwriting, with your hosts, Travis Reitzma and Derek Harrison. I quit my job. I quit my job. I quit my job. I'm free today. Hey folks, Travis here. Welcome to the 23rd episode of I Quit My Job, syndicated on bluesandrootsradio.com. Today on the podcast, we have Charles Tilden from the excellent Toronto indie blues band Delta Will. Derek and I sat down with Charles and also Kira May, whose episode you'll hear in a few weeks, in their lovely Toronto home, and had two great conversations while their cat tried his best to get some airtime. This conversation in particular gets pretty emotional. Charles talks about the loss of one of his bandmates in his former band Parks and Rec, and the difficulty of moving on personally and also artistically. It was heartbreaking to hear Charles recall what it was like playing on stage after her death, but ultimately it inspired him to quit his job and focus on music more thoroughly, a move that has definitely paid off. His latest endeavor, Delta Will, released a brand new album the day before we talked to him, and we'll get to that conversation shortly, but first you'll hear a song called A Dream from that brand new album, Weathering. Enjoy. The last 
So a new record just came out. It did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's hard to believe. What inspired releasing the record without, like, before the record release? Uh, I don't. There, there was no big strike of inspiration. Really, okay. we uh, we settled on a release date a while back, mm-hmm. and then uh, as we were putting together tour dates, realized that um, touring in April was going to be a lot more feasible. Just a lot more venues were going to be available for us to string together a tour, so yeah. we decided to wait until then to play all the shows. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Mm. So how's it been going so far? It's been out for what, 24 hours? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah. People are clicking play. Oh, and, nice. And listening to it, which is mm-hmm. great. That's mission number one accomplished. People mm-hmm. hearing mm-hmm. record. And you had it uh, streamed on Exclaim, right? Was that before the record came out? Yeah, I had, yeah, uh, yeah. a week ahead, uh, Exclaim put the whole thing uh, on their site mm-hmm. for people to listen to for free. That's always yeah. a nice, uh, nice boost, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it feels good. So how long, uh, how long was the record in the making? So it felt like forever, especially because some of the songs uh, are as old as like four years old. We brought back one of the very first Delta Will songs, Goodwill. Yeah, I noticed recording. that Yeah, from one of your older records. And uh, it, the idea was to make a full length uh, as far back as 2013. Mm-hmm. And instead, uh, an EP came out of that. That was the, the It All Glows EP. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we thought we were going to take those four songs, add a bunch more and have a record made out of it. And then instead, a, a whole bunch of other new material kept flowing out. Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't feel like a record until last year. We kept playing shows as a band and getting our getting an idea of what we would really want to sound like as a band and and by by last fall then it was like okay well we Mm -hmm. should head in the studio Mm -hmm. and and start laying down all of this so then and and yeah now a year later it's actually happened but it feels it feels like an eternity yeah Mm -hmm. well the development of the songs and arrangements sounds like it took a sounds like it was a long process yeah we really enjoy recording too like Mm -hmm. three of us in the band Mm -hmm. uh spent a fair bit of time um toying with recording software so we really uh we went off the deep end for a while yeah just uh, like. just trying out a bunch of ideas once we had the bed tracks in in hand yeah. and and i have a, a home studio here set up mm-hmm. so spent many months still just like tracking other ideas until until we were happy so you produced it yourselves in a sense yeah, yeah. we we hired we got chris stringer to work with us again who we had done the last ep with and initially we were really thinking we were hiring him as the producer mm-hmm. and as things went on um we also had to adapt because we didn't get uh, factory funding that we were hoping to get. Mm-hmm. So rather than continue um, working with Chris all the way along, um, we figured, hey, well, you know, we don't have this money. We can do it the cheap route, which mm-hmm. in the, looking back, uh, really happy we did that because yeah. um, it let us um, take our time, be patient and mm-hmm. make sure we had what we wanted. So once we had great sounding bed tracks in the studio recorded with Chris, then it was like a really great, um, you know, yeah great starting mm-hmm. base from which to work yeah. um, and develop the songs from there. And uh, Milan and, and Brandon uh, bandmates would come over every week or so and keep adding another. We'd sort of chip at it one song mm-hmm. at a time. Oh, what, is, what else does this song need? Oh, maybe, yeah. maybe that old yeah. 80s synth you have lying around. Let's plug it in and see what happens. Mm. Yeah, we're doing that in, uh, in my band right now. We, we've decided to do the self-production basically because we don't have any money. And we, we were able to build a studio. Uh, one of the, my bandmates owns a restaurant that we built a studio in the upstairs part. So oh, great. And it's, it's turning out really well so far. We're actually surprising ourselves with 
how capable we are of doing it. I think we all at first thought, ah, we should probably get someone to come in here and and do this for us. But we've we've done a decent job, I think, so far. So cool. it's, an, it's an interesting learning experience for right. sure. Yeah, yeah, and I should mention too at the tail end of the process, then uh, having been like way too deep into this process for <laughs> too long, it, I, it was really necessary to give it back to someone else to mix the record. Oh so yeah, again, for yeah. sure. That's Chris, yeah. Chris came in mm-hmm. at, at the very end and you know, made a little more sense out of all the chaos and yeah. <laughs> figured out what layers really needed to stay uh, and what, yeah, how, how yeah. to make the thing sound balanced. And Yeah, there's a point at which you can't do that anymore yeah. to your own. Yeah, like, bands should never well, make their own records. <laughs> like, I think that's uh, it's kind of a bad idea. Yeah. You've heard mm-hmm. it too much. You need someone else with relatively fresh ears to come in and mm-hmm. and listen to it for sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a there's a marked change in in the uh, in the style as well. I noticed uh, when listening back, uh, especially from your old Parks and Rec stuff into Delta Will when it was just you, and now the band. There's a very different way that you're structuring songs. Like the early stuff was a lot more blues based and guitar based, and now you're sort of going in the more synth, maybe indie rock kind of uh, thing. So what what was it? Just the band and then the personalities within it that that made that change, or do you think that that was more intentional? Uh, I think it's part column A, column B. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, um, even as far back as the first Delta Will EP, I was already playing around a lot with synthi- mm-hmm. blah, synthesizers, playing a lot with looping technology, mm-hmm. and was writing with those things in mind. But, um, but you're right. I did have this pretty clear picture in my mind that I wanted to pay homage to blues mm-hmm. and to and to folk music as well. Um that those were the at the core of every song was was mm-hmm. something like a progression or um, melodies that were inspired mm-hmm. by folk and blues music mm-hmm. uh and in a way i think that hasn't changed that much i still continue to write from a place where licks and riffs and musical ideas are, are coming from from a place ultimately is like folk and blues music oriented but then um having more people to play the parts mm-hmm. that i'm hearing in my head Mm-hmm. I guess has uncovered my yeah. my fetish for right. for synthesizers yeah. <laughs> and, and drum machines and all these other That's... layers that weren't featured so much on the other records because I also wanted to make records that to some extent I could perform live and mm-hmm. and as a solo act there was only so much of that I could do early mm-hmm. on. So the songs still come f- from you foundationally, and then yeah yeah Delta Will are. are uh, Delta Will songs are Charles Tilden songs first, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then I bring them to the band. Sometimes uh, pretty fleshed out with demos, like with a lot of the layers there, but often too with uh, um, we'll jam things out. Or some of the instrumentals mm-hmm. actually that ended up on the record, they, they were they were very raw initial ideas, mm-hmm. and, but then we would just hack at them every week in the rehearsal mm-hmm. space until um we thought they were worth sharing and and those so those songs the band had uh those pieces of music the band had a lot more to do with so you've been playing you've been doing this for a long time yeah <laughs> yeah since i was 11 i guess i've been 11. writing songs yeah yeah how did that start uh pretty nerdy bored lonely pre-pubescent yeah. kid <laughs> who fell in love with grunge music mm-hmm. i guess is pretty much how it all started here in toronto in Ottawa, I grew up in Ottawa. Oh, okay. Yeah, in uh, suburban Ottawa, in Orleans, Ontario. Orleans. Uh, through there oh, yeah. a few times. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think I've painted a house there before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely place to grow up and becomes very boring by the time you're... 15, 16. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so. the thing about lovely places to grow up. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this gap where it just there's nothing you want is there anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until then, you're in your thirties, and then maybe it's a lovely place to be again. But mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really, actually, I just wanted to be a drummer initially. That's what I wanted. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I heard, you know, I think you know, hearing grunge records, that's mm-hmm. what was pounding you in the ears the most, and mm-hmm. was really exciting. It's like I want to do that. So, so did you? Nope. Never? No, there's Never no way. There's no way my parents would let me yeah. have a drum set. In you the can house. be a musician, but you can't be a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> only, uh, uh, yeah, only uh, what? Almost twenty years later, am I finally teaching myself drums? Yeah. So, <laughs> getting around to it now. Yeah. Everything else has just been a sidetrack mission to now finally learn now drums. Finally, yeah, everything's yeah. just been second choice, backup plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you went straight to guitar then? So I went straight to guitar because that was more manageable mm-hmm. for the folks, and I, I did fall in love with it. Just like played along to whatever yeah. Nirvana mm-hmm. and Zeppelin records in my bedroom, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and wanted realized pretty soon enough that what I really loved about music and the potential of music was that I could write my own mm-hmm. uh, so started doing that and also didn't think that I, I mostly just wanted to play guitar but I also wanted to write songs and I wanted to uh, play them with people but I didn't think that I would be the person singing them <laughs> until I started a band in in middle school with a friend and then by the time there were three of us it, it was kind of like oh I guess and then if you guys sing <laughs> and I wrote these songs so I guess I'll have to sing them yeah and they stuck did you fall in love with that too singing feels good it's so cathartic yeah, yeah. it's really hard to it's such it's like this instrument that's invisible to us mm-hmm. so it's, I think it's harder to figure out visualize like exactly what it does Mm -hmm. and how to control it i feel like it's so much more affected by mood and maybe that's just like an untrained voice like myself but if i'm in a bad mood it's going to be a certain way or if i you know obviously if you have a cold or something that's going to affect it so there's a lot of like external factors that get in the way of you being as good as you could be at it versus like a guitar or piano or something where it's you know it's all kind of there it's mostly the instrument and you're plugging away at it yeah yeah very true Mm mm-hmm and you can ruin it really quickly. I feel like mm-hmm. my voice has been pretty uh, on on the edge lately. I have to take oh, yeah. better care of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you taken lessons? Uh, long ago. Mm-hmm. Long ago. But Kira, who you just interviewed today, <laughs> my shout out, has been taking vocal lessons, and she comes home and gives me pointers every once Passes in a while. Passes the information stuff down. I've gotta, stuff I've got to work on. Very nice. I watch myself, though. I hear him singing, and I'm... <laughs> Apparently, my voice has to can come out of a lot more places than I than I. Then you thought again. Than I usually think about. Sing from the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> Not sing from the shoulders. That is a common mistake. <laughs> it's a common mistake. <laughs> yes. This is news to me. I've never tried to sing from my shoulder. Not consciously. Mm. <laughs> That's great. So, how did Parks and Rec get started? Then was that also mostly you, or that was that was a full band? That was a band, and it really started when uh, Eric Hummel and I uh, started making music together, and uh, Eric is a really gifted guitarist and songwriter, um, and our, um, I think more than anything, like our mutual love of uh, folk, uh, 60s folk revival and folk rock mm-hmm. bands are what got us really excited about starting a band together, mm-hmm. um, and uh 
yeah, Eric makes incredible like finger style music with his guitar, stuff that I cannot do with a guitar, and that blew me away. Uh, and we got along famously, so we started playing uh, actually as a duo for a short while before we had a name or anything, and mm-hmm. wrote a lot of the early Parks and Rec songs that way mm-hmm. without really having much of a plan or an idea of what we were doing and then slowly became a band and picked the name um picked up my old uh friend pierre to play bass with us and my old friend jake who had been making music both those guys have been making music with since i was a teenager mm-hmm. so they were kind of logical additions to the band they come uh, from orleans as well they also yeah. came from orleans yeah. Oh. yeah made the trip from from toronto uh just as we had finished high school and ready for our next big adventure yep um and then Parks and Rec's lineup evolved quite a bit uh, over the years, too. Uh, for a while, Pierre dropped out, and um, Scott McCormick came on bass duty. Mm-hmm. And then a uh, huge, uh, huge change happened when Christina Taborda joined the band as well as, mm-hmm. a, as a second vocalist. Was um, she writing songs for, as well? Hmm? Was she writing songs she, as well? Christina wrote her own songs. But not for Parks and Rec. She wasn't really uh, writing okay. With Parks and Rec. Um, and then, yeah, those were, well, I guess those are the two big changes. Pierre came back into the fold after Scott um, finished school and moved around a bunch of places. And, uh, yeah, so we were five-piece. And then, mm-hmm. of course, we had Arnold Pereira join us on drums um, after a while, and Jake dropped out. So, yeah. You guys are doing pretty well. What, what, what years was this? 2009 to 2011 mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. so it wasn't wasn't particularly long then yeah is yeah just the one one release there's one two releases two? there's a five song ep okay yeah. it's like self-titled ep and then uh the seeds grown here mm-hmm. yeah, that's the one that record. i've heard yeah. okay all right so what next we're gonna tour that's the main thing i guess mm-hmm. we have this record it um we actually don't hate it you don't hate my record. <laughs> I think we're still fans. I haven't done a... a yeah. Did you hate the first one after you released it? No, but... I know that happens. I've, I've been okay. Yeah. I've been relatively okay with Delta Will's output. Yeah. I don't hate any of it. How long mm. was the gap from Parks and Rec to Delta Will? Uh, there was an overlap. Oh, there was an overlap? Yeah, for oh, a bit okay. it was me. Like It was really this bedroom project where I was writing new songs uh, and figuring out how to use a looper and had this idea to somehow pay homage to the blues and mm-hmm. all those ideas floating around my head so i was doing that while parks and rec was still performing and, and living in a band house together mm-hmm. oh cool mm-hmm. and, and what what prompted the dissolution of, of parks and rec oh a lot of things yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's a long complicated story <laughs> uh it just kind of fizzled really yeah is the short of it um people wanted to yeah move on to different things it became mm-hmm. harder and harder to to keep going mm-hmm. and i mean i probably started so uh really sadly our our uh like our dear friend and bandmate christina passed away uh and we decided to keep making music together for a while after mm-hmm. that um which i think was good we were in uh that you know that was the lowest of the low we were all feeling terrible and and making music together if anything uh was a you know was a powerful thing for us to do mm-hmm. a good healing thing for us to do mm-hmm. so you didn't find it challenging you found it more of a positive experience it, it, sometimes it was really tough mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah when uh 
uh, yeah, when you're on stage and you could you could picture where she'd usually be standing on stage and singing a killer harmony part to mm-hmm. yours, mm-hmm. and it's not there. You can just kind of hear like the ghost of it. it was really strange. Mm. Yeah. So that was the first step to the dissolution. I would say so. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where it started. Yeah. And how long did you last after that? So a year and a bit. To that yeah so what i'm just curious about what the connection between where parks and rec was starting to dissolve and delta well was it a, did you predict the ending of parks and rec and so you started this new project i kind of could see it falling apart mm-hmm. it wasn't i was just uh i was at a point where i had quit my day job mm-hmm. right hey. right which was uh working at the canadian urban institute doing some urban policy things oh, and wow. uh real job yeah, it's it was a real job <laughs> it, was a real, it was a real desk job and uh 25 year old me decided that as interesting as this was it was totally consuming my life mm-hmm. yeah and uh and that i was still madly in love with this thing called music and wanted to spend as much of my time doing that as possible so that's as parks and rec was playing a lot of gigs at the time and, and working on our uh on our second release and um so once i quit my job and then realized that actually as much as we're having a lot of fun doing this uh doesn't seem like we actually have like a a group of people that are all ready to really go for it and hit Mm -hmm. the road but uh, i'm ready and uh, i want to do that right now and spend as much of my time doing it so that's really hard too when you when you form a band with your friends uh, you know, it's it's a really, it's working really well musically, but then everybody's at different stages in their lives. You know, people want people have their jobs, but they have kids, and they can't all just necessarily drop everything and go on a two month tour. Absolutely, yeah, you know? yeah. Absolutely. So I, I feel like that's the end of a lot of bands. It's oh, yeah. the number one cause yeah. of bands falling exactly. apart. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So. yeah. Mm-hmm. Keeping people different together. goals, right? So with Delta Will, when you're when you're putting the band together. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you then trying to find people who are willing to go on that with you? Is it, is it you know, just as much about that as, as it is about music? Well, the, my, my main, when I decided first to recruit Lowell Witty, it was basically because I had a huge drummer crush on him. He was mm-hmm. this guy who I'd become friendly with because he'd been drumming with my friend Jay Pollock for a while. And watching him perform, I thought it was like just absolutely an incredible creative musician. So I was like, when I mentioned you know I mentioned that I'd be going to the studio soon to record some more stuff and he seemed interested in and in, uh, playing on those sessions I was uh, really besides myself really happy that he'd be willing to do that so I wasn't very strategic thinking like mm-hmm. oh well, this guy I mean Lil, Lil Witty our drummer is is a professional musician that's what he does mm-hmm. uh, that's what he does for a living so but I was mostly just thinking like I would love to hear this guy's playing yeah yeah uh, on this record and then uh, that went really well, and, and Lowell still had time to, to play uh, some gigs uh, with the project as well. So it just kept going that way, and then by the time we had a second EP recorded and ready to go, um, and I realized how much it sounded like a band, mm-hmm. and I really wanted other people to play with, so I recruited my friends mm-hmm. Milan and, and Brandon to play on the record as well. And, and then, yeah, I guess, really, I was just thinking... Um, uh, I wanted to pick people who I enjoy spending time with mm-hmm. and uh, and who hopefully love music as much as I do. Those are the main things. Not so yeah. much like, do they mm-hmm. 
are, are they ready for the rigors of yeah. 12 months on the road <laughs> yeah, yeah, with yeah. me? Because I didn't even really know if that was going to happen. But, but yeah, are we going to have a good time hanging yeah. out? Yeah, it's a very important right. thing, too. And, and making music. You're basically married yeah. to these people in a lot of ways. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's obviously most important. But you did mention that um, that was part of the factor of starting Delta Well and ending Parks and Rec. That's true. Um, yeah. So it's funny how a new project that can be kind of secondary, but then once you've been it through it once before, like you know that long term that's going to come into play. If especially with you having quit, you know, like a proper career style job mm. and then really, you know, diving in like that. But you also never know what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the most uh, dedicated musicians uh, can, can you can assume that they can make themselves available or, yeah. or completely dedicated to their craft, but life happens all the time. Life happens. Right? Mm-hmm. Kids happen and you know, changes in what you think is important to you, all sorts of stuff. You mm-hmm. can't really predict any of that. Mm-hmm. So do you, you have a day, a day job now? I have a night job. You have a night job? <laughs> yeah, I, right. I've been bartending for okay. for a few years yeah. Yeah. to make the ends meet. Another music-adjacent mm-hmm. uh, thing to do. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Very popular profession among musicians. Yes, yes. that's what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're all smart serve certified. Um. Was Christina's passing a factor in you deciding, you realizing that music was going to be your priority? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's very perceptive. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it was a huge life changer for me. Yeah, it makes you, I mean, I've, I've lost a sister and it just makes you reevaluate so much. It very much made me. So I can see that connection. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when you start to think, oh my God, this could be me any day, uh, Am I really doing what I want to be doing with my life? Mm-hmm. Um, because there's really no time for idling or waiting around for the right thing to come along. Mm-hmm. When uh, Delta Will started, was it a conscious change in songwriting style? Uh, not too much. I try to not um, self-evaluate what kind of music it is that I'm making too much. Mm-hmm. I try to always go with my first instinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just playing around in my room and yeah. um, a riff sounds good or a mistake on a riff sounds good to me all of a sudden. Then I tend to just run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get in your own head too much otherwise if you're like, oh, this is not the song that I, not the type of song I want to write. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and to contra- contradict that only a little bit, uh, <laughs> Delta Will did start with a nugget of an idea mm-hmm. somewhat. I, I actually thought that I was starting uh, just like a fun side project where my homage to the blues would mostly involve covering songs. Mm-hmm. I'm going to dig back as far as I can into blues history, buy a bunch of records, inform myself a little better, find some pieces of music that really inspire me and that I think, uh, through which I think I could help tell um, <clears throat> tell a story. And then, uh, and then my other instinct to just write music kicked in pretty soon thereafter i abandoned the covers project and just started yeah, writing just songs started instead. writing again and they mm-hmm. and so they all had this bluesy tinge because that's where my head was at mm-hmm. at the time okay yeah but you find when you get into uh self-analysis too far that's a destructive force in yeah usually it, yeah questions like um 
you know, is our people going to like this? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, it, what is it I'm making exactly here? Is it too much this, too much that? Um, usually just stalls. It just yeah. stalls you, and I find that... The... It can make you get rid of good ideas sometimes because you don't think that they fit whatever it is you're supposed to be doing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so instead, I, I rather just uh, take take the lead. Take the lead from the muse mm-hmm. and just see where it goes. Yeah. And where is the muse taking you these days uh how has that changed lately i've i've been uh i took up a friend on a challenge uh he started an online group where musicians are contributing a new song or attempting to contribute a new song every week you're telling me about this right to a facebook page uh a little private group where no one no one judges (laughs) everyone's supportive i'd love to get in there um (laughs) And uh, I get that's been taking me in a bunch of directions, I suppose. So uh, I'm I haven't been keeping to the every week schedule, especially yeah. since our records coming out, and I've had to focus on mm-hmm. doing that over the last little bit. But I'm writing a bunch of new material, and um, some of it is instrumental stuff. Um, that's pretty weird. A lot of it's beat driven. Again, back playing with my drum machines a bunch and uh, synths and stuff. Other songs I've written are like really, really bare bones. Me mm-hmm. and my guitar, little ditties, <laughs> uh, and still other ones are songs with vocals and uh, a million layers. Um, I don't really know. I don't really know where I'm headed next. Yeah. Right now is very much a <laughs> well. It's post album, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like possibilities. The possibilities yeah, right. are endless. Yeah. <laughs> um, is forcing yourself? Well, I shouldn't really say forcing, but like putting some push behind getting these songs out. Is that a positive effect or a negative effect on your songwriting? It's been great. It's been good. Yeah. It, it's um. It takes some of the pressure off, actually. Mm-hmm. The pressure of thinking that every new song you write has to be the greatest one you've ever written. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think if you don't think in those terms and rather just focus on put it, making something, you're like, oh, by the end of this afternoon, uh, I'll just take this song as far as I can. And it's surprising how often, actually, by the end of that afternoon, you have most of a song finished. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you won't know till the next day or a week later when you open that session again whether it's any good or not but that doesn't matter because you spent an afternoon working on your craft yeah that's it if you do that for you know however many straight weeks you're almost certainly going to end up with a ton of material that is really great you know even if it's just by accident you're writing that much you know if you write 50 songs in 50 weeks you can probably bet the 10 of them are going to be really good (laughs) you can only hope (laughs) at least least i mean my first 50 are all bad but well, you tried to do that a few years ago, right? The, uh... Oh, it was 2009. Yeah. I did, um, I tried to write and record a song every week for 52 weeks for the whole year. And... You got you got decently far. I got I into feel. the 20s. Yeah. But pretty um, good. <laughs> but the problem was I started, from the very first song, I was just overproducing. I was digging out an old drum kit that was in my parents' basement. Oh, wow. I was like... Mm-hmm. 12 16 tracks on a song mm-hmm. when i should have just been like and put it online yeah um <laughs> so like the songs became really complex i didn't want to go back from that to simplicity again 
Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why I didn't end up doing 52 songs. It's just because like, I was holding them up to too high of a standard right. of production. Mm-hmm. <laughs> once, 50, you do it, once you do it one soon. week, you got to do it. You got to up it the next week. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. One of them, I writ- wrote like a fugue into it somehow. Like all the instruments. <laughs> Between every verse, there was, there was like four part mandolin and accordion and like all these. <laughs> it was so stupid and ambitious. I want to hear this. Now I play. Some I still play really that great. song. but Some like really great that instrumental section all i do is i blow in a harmonica for like two notes and yeah like that's all it really needed <laughs> it didn't need like a hundred notes played on four different instruments mm-hmm. anyway those escapades can be really fun though those yeah. those like recording i got a, a million layer escapades i did get a lot out of it yeah mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun like having a place to put it gives you that much more push right mm-hmm. and that's all you need i think yeah it's something to kind of hold you to account Mm-hmm. like my drum lessons lately i've realized oh yeah <laughs> yeah just i feel i feel that same i i remember it's like 11 year old me that mm-hmm. feeling is coming back where it's like oh i have to see the teacher tomorrow <laughs> i haven't <laughs> but, practiced yet <laughs> oh, i should no, really practice sure now yeah. yeah do you think you'll ever get to the point where you're doing it on stage that'd be great yeah i love that have some ways to go though yeah 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 well it depends what type of band you want to be in yeah I guess. You, you could do the meg white thing I want, to be figure a, it out. I want to be in a funk band, so I have a ways to go. <laughs> yeah. You got a ways to go. <laughs> How do you find um, going out to other people's gigs as the value to your to, to your project and your music? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I was thinking about this recently, how I don't do that enough anymore. I end up at a lot of friends' gigs, and mm-hmm. they can be definitely inspirational and really moving. I don't find myself going to... Um, artist shows that I don't know personally often enough mm-hmm. anymore but uh, I really should mm. I really should I'm going to go to more shows this year it's my really late New Year's resolution <laughs> you're, um, you're making it now <clears throat> it's public yeah mm-hmm. there are a few other things that can that can instantly make me feel like I really want to go home and practice more I know or write something new yeah that's yeah. always the great especially when you accidentally come upon a band that you really enjoy mm-hmm you walk into a venue not not even necessarily knowing there's music and and you end up being you know completely taken aback by what's on stage. I feel like that's the most the most inspired I ever am is when I when I'm in that situation. Absolutely, yeah. I think yeah. the last time that happened to me uh, was uh, walking in Kensington and um, this guy Roberto I know who um, works at Exclaim and was putting on a show uh, that I had no idea about and he just pulled Kira and I in and was like, "Come check this out. Here's a free <laughs> drink ticket." and go see this uh it was great it was a very instantaneous uh experiment and then we showed up and bart was playing i don't know if you guys have heard bart yet they're still a relatively new toronto band um and they're killing it uh they're on yeah. eday fix records their stuff is like in in kind of very proggy in one way uh there are a lot of sudden changes in their music and a lot of virtuosic guitar playing guitar minis and stuff but it's also got a great <laughs> pop sen- sensibility it's like mm-hmm. proggy but also kind of beatles-esque oh um, cool oh yeah and yeah. they're <clears throat> yeah killer musicians so that, that was the last time i remember being pulled into a room out of nowhere and being like whoa yeah <laughs> whoa feel yeah. it and really um really drawn to it and and uh and wanting to go home and play music myself what's the nuggets of uh what, where your songs come from what's the first thing that happens usually uh i'm more likely to write a riff for a musical component mm-hmm. first and then um and then that will somehow set a mood and then if i'm really into it i'll keep developing that and 
sort of annexing parts onto that original part that I developed and and um, and the yeah the mood of the piece will hopefully give me ideas about what to write about mm-hmm. uh, lyrically yeah just the feel of it the emotion yeah that's usually how it goes um, it's gone the other way sometimes where I've started with uh, with words or just a yeah a vocal melody that has that immediately like words get attached to it yeah mm-hmm. and then that will be the initial nugget for a song and then start building an instrumental around it mm-hmm. um but I, I don't write that way nearly as often as the other way mm-hmm. yeah in the same way it usually starts with the music mm. yeah i'm the opposite it's almost always lyrical mm-hmm. yeah so as someone who's quit his job um and very consciously decided to make this a priority could we talk about monetization okay i guess especially living in toronto like in a city with such a high cost of living um are you feeling optimistic about that at the moment or oh man yeah the the music industry is uh don't this is not news to anyone it's <laughs> a crazy crazy business it's mm-hmm. changing all the time and it's unpredictable and very few are those that are able to uh string all of that together into a living mm-hmm. so i don't know my view of it um when I quit my job, my main goal was to put out a lot more creative output and feel creatively fulfilled more than anything and to uh, and to treat my musical endeavor as if it were a job mm-hmm. in which I'm my own employer, um, but without really expecting that it's going to make me a living. I think that's, a, that's what's kept me uh, a sane person I think right I think if I woke up every morning and I somehow expected that this should make me my living and why isn't it yet uh yeah I'd, I'd lose my mind I think yeah. I think so far the the sane thing to do is yeah focus on making the best music that I can make and and uh make sure that I'm having fun too <laughs> playing it with friends and sharing it with as many people as possible and um yeah and, you know we make money sometimes yeah <laughs> <laughs> and now you put together to, well the tour's put together already I assume yeah the tour's ready to go yeah um, how going, long we're going out to the east coast for uh, better part of two weeks um, starting in Halifax and sort of slowly working our way back okay mm-hmm. and we'll have a bit of time to hang out there a few free days to hang yeah. out on the coast what's the Halifax venue uh, we're playing at the Seahorse ooh nice hmm they don't respond to my emails. No, <laughs> I think there's. I think Jeff is a relatively new guy working there. Ooh, I think mm, that's what I've go. heard. It's a good lead. That's <laughs> what I've heard. We're playing April first though in Halifax. So I'm still trying to figure out if the whole show is just a, a giant joke. Yeah, and there's no just real show. show up and the seahorse has been closed <laughs> yeah. for six months. Yeah, the new yeah. poster actually has uh, fish on it as well. So I'm really <laughs> suspicious. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Is it your first uh, Delta Will's first tour? Oh no, uh, we toured um, when we put out the a first song from this record, Manic Pulse. Uh, we did a, a mini tour out to uh, Montreal and Ottawa and played a Guelph and a Hamilton show. Mm-hmm. Um, so those kind of nearby mini tours have, have been the extent of it as as a band. And then when Delta Will just started <clears throat> as a solo project. Which of course makes it easier to move around, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. As it turns uh, out. Then, then I did uh, a little more uh, East Coast touring. Then too, went went out to Halifax and back a couple times. Yeah. Um, when the the first and then the second EP came out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how do you find uh, how do you find playing in the East Coast in 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 terms of value financially? 
Uh, it's not a huge money tour no. by any means. Uh, I mean, it just depends what circuit you're playing. Mm-hmm. I guess some bands do very well going out there. Mm-hmm. I, again, it's really for the love. Yeah. More than anything else. That stuff always seems like a mysterious alchemy anyway. Then when we try to figure it out, it changes. Yeah. You know, like, it, it, like oh, I'm going to make money on this tour, and then you don't. And then you don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're expecting to run a loss, and then you make shit money. And then you make my money. Yeah. yeah, you never know. <laughs> um, yeah, we're just going to go out there and have a great time, and hopefully uh, people will leave with our record. Mm-hmm. Cool. You want to play us a tune? Uh, <laughs> I guess so. I could play a song. Right. Cool. cool. This is the last song on Weathering, and it's called I Will Receive It. It all begins with the naming of things. Things that we dream we can breathe some life into Into the ruthless jungle of mine Mine that gets cloudy from thinking on its eyes
That was just a gorgeous performance of the song I Will Receive It by Charles Tilden with help from Kira May. Now you're hearing the song Manic Pulse from the new Delta Will album, Weathering. A cold man with twinkle eye was often lost and found Delta Will is out on an East Coast tour right now and with a few shows coming up in New Brunswick. This Thursday, they're playing at the Capitol in Fredericton, Friday the 8th at Pepper's Pub in St. John, and Saturday the 9th at one of my favorite venues I've ever played, Plan B in Moncton. The following week, they'll be at Le KGB for their Montreal record release. And then the big show, which I will be at Friday, April 15th at Burdock in Toronto. Now, in case you were wondering, our, lo- our podcast is not live. We actually recorded this about a week and a half ago. And uh, once in a while, just because of the geographic nature of me and Travis being in different cities, some episodes actually sit on the shelf for a while. But the same day with Charles, we recorded an episode with Kira May, another local Toronto musician. That episode will be out four weeks from today. Two weeks from today, we have a really special episode with our guest Kelly, Mr. Chill Hoppy, who's a solo artist in his own right and probably best known for his work with Big Sugar. Now, if you haven't done it yet, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And you can follow us on SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram using the old Google. And we will see you in two weeks with Kelly Hoppy. 